You're listening to the Evanston Bible Fellowship Podcast. EBF is a community of sojourners empowering one another to cultivate gospel transformation. To learn more about our church, visit ebfchurch.org. Today's sermon comes from Psalm 6. Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am faint. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord, how long? Turn, Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. Among the dead, no one proclaims your name. Who praises you from the grave? I'm worn out from my groaning. All night long, I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all my foes. Away from me, all you who do evil, for the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy and the Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies will be overwhelmed with shame and anguish, and they will turn back and suddenly be put to shame. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Thank you, Ashley. Good evening, it's good to be together here, and uh, glad for a little bit of more cloud cover, I suppose. Hopefully it's a little, little cooler here this evening, but it's good to be together to hear the word proclaimed. And uh, to those joining us online as well, welcome. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we pray that you would meet us this evening in, in our pain, in our longings, in our fears, in all that this psalm gives voice to and more. And Lord, thank you for the realness and the rawness of this psalm. Father, thank you that we can cry out to you, and so we do so. We pray that you would implant your word within us, you would challenge us, you would cause us to experience your unfailing love even more. We love you, Lord, and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. There's an old song by... Ben Folds Five, I can't believe I just called that an old song, but the, the way it starts off, it says, lying awake in my, ho- in my hospital room, Silas Creek Parkway is my only view. And the doctor just came by and told me the news. I need a second opinion. I can't believe that it's true. Have you been there before? Maybe in the shock, the pain of that terrible diagnosis. Maybe in the face of a deadly disease ravaging you, a loved one, either in the past or even in the present, or certainly that we will someday experience in the future. Perhaps it is even something akin to what the psalmist describes here later in this psalm, that is abusive treatment at the hands of those that would seek his downfall, that were pleading, that are hoping that he falls on his face. This psalm here, Psalm 6, is written by someone who was suffering from some sort of prolonged sickness, a deadly disease, both affecting both body and soul, that has him near the point of death itself. 
And to add insult to injury, he is confronted by enemies whose aim is to compound the pain. These are words that speak to us today whenever we ourselves or our loved ones or our community suffer. And whatever the original circumstances that surround what the psalmist is describing here, this psalm gives words to those whose heart is faint and can scarcely pray. When we don't know what to pray, we can turn to a psalm like this, Psalm 6, and join in the psalmist's lament. If you haven't already, please turn to Psalm 6. Another one of those individual laments, we've seen these kind of in, in sequence here at the beginning of the book of Psalms. As we have been in this summer series called Anatomy of the Soul. The word sheminith at the beginning in the title is most likely a musical term that could refer to an eight-stringed instrument that is to accompany this psalm or perhaps even to an eight-note scale. But whatever the case, Psalm 6 has been included among the seven what have come to be called penitential psalms by the ancient church and traditionally sung on Ash Wednesday. But although it has no explicit confession of sin, it could be implied by verse 1. The tone is certainly appropriate for the penitent. But more than any previous psalm, it, it peers into the inner heart and the inner life of the psalmist described to David himself. So I want to do something a little different as we approach this psalm this evening. I want to look at first what the, psalm is, the psalmist is experiencing. And then second, to ask what does he do in the face of that pain? And third, how the Lord shows up how we see the Lord come to provide healing and wholeness. And so first, what is it that the psalmist is faced with? We alluded to this already a little bit, but in gut-wrenching terms, the psalmist pours out his heart due to the, the multifaceted nature of the suffering that he is experiencing, most likely from some, some illness, some deadly disease. This suffering in its facets it, is completely wearying. You have terms like, for I am faint, I am worn out from my groaning, my, my eyes grow weak. He feels like he is withering away. Not only is, is this suffering completely wearying, but it is physically agonizing. For my bones are in agony, verse 2. A vivid description of his suffering that has him on the brink of destruction. But his suffering is not just physical, it is psychological as well, for he can say, my soul is in deep anguish. You know, suffering is rarely one-dimensional. It is often physical, psychological, social, emotional, and more. You can tell that the, the psalmist's whole being is afflicted. And yes, it is endlessly prolonged, this multifaceted suffering. He cries out, how long, Lord, how long? And this is a, an exasperated question that kind of spills out of him. The wording in the Hebrew is broken and stilted. It's like, but you, Lord, how long? It's as if there's an exclamation point that could follow each one of those words. How long? It suggests that his pain has been lingering for some time and that this pain threatens to go on and on and on. Not only is this multifaceted suffering endlessly prolonged, but it has him fearful of death. He is close to the point of death, verse 5, due to his sickness and afraid that he might be separated from God's presence in death. 
And this suffering has him overwhelmed with both <laughs> almost contradictory but, uh, terms, but exhaustion and insomnia. Have you been there before? Exhaustion and insomnia. Look at verses 6 and 7. I am worn out from my groaning. All night long I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all my foes. These are verses that show just the depth of his emotional distress. His bed being drenched in tears literally reads, make my bed to swim. Insomnia due to the pain of his sickness and his spiritual anguish and feeling separated from God, that is, that is what is being pictured here. But not only is he faced with some sort of terrible disease and all of the effects that is ravaging his body as a result, but he's facing enemies' harsh treatment at the hands of those that are actively cheering on his downfall. Their harmful treatment compounds the pain. Look at the end of verse 7. They fail, referring to his eyes, they fail because of all my foes. He feels helpless in his weakened estate. And his pain is increased due to the op opposition of his enemies. He is more vulnerable to their taunts in his weakened condition. And what he needs, what he needs here is, is friendship. And this harmful treatment, as verse 8 describes, is evil to the core. Away from me, all you who do evil. They were taunting him that perhaps that God would not deliver him, as an earlier psalm describes. And it's hard to, hard to know or to discern exactly what this abusive treatment looked like. It could have been spewing lies about the very reasons for his suffering, perhaps drawing too thick of a line. Picture, picture Job's friends, for instance, in the Bible, drawing too hard of a line between his sin and his sickness. Or it could be that they're actively cheering his impending death and ready to pounce, rejoicing at his suffering, hoping perhaps that he even dies in the face of it. And so in the face of this unbearable sickness and this ab abusive treatment at the hands of his enemies, what does the psalmist do? That's our second question. What does he do in the face of such pain? I think the first thing that we see from this text and from this magnificent psalm is, is drawn from the very first word. For he recognizes the Lord from his first breath. Lord. And second, he asks God not to treat him as his sins deserve, but to have mercy on him. The words here for rebuke and anger and discipline and wrath may point to the psalmist's thought that some sin is behind his suffering, even though the specific sin is not mentioned. Yes, sin and suffering are connected in other psalms of lament, but that, that connection is not explicitly made here. It could be more so that knowing that he has fallen, this is his way of asking God to not treat him as his sins deserve, but to have mercy on him. This is where more of the emphasis falls in the passage. Have mercy on me, Lord, verse 2, for I am faint. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. The third thing that he does is he expresses the depth and the length of his agony with raw emotions. We saw that as we looked through verses 3 and verses 6 through 7. And then, yes, he places himself 
in the Lord's hands and appeals to the Lord's unfailing love. Verse 4, turn, Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. You know, the Psalms are full of requests for the Lord to turn. You see this desperate plea for healing and restoration to health. And what he does is he appeals to God's chesed, that is his unfailing, steadfast love. Biblically speaking, this is God's covenantal loyalty that he has for his people, shown especially in rescuing his people from Egypt and then promising to love generations of his people. That includes his servant David. The psalmist pleas grounded in God's essential character. His loyal love forms the basis of the psalmist's hope. And so fifth, he appeals for his life to continue. You know, this, this verse might seem strange to us. Verse five, I'll read, read that again for us. Among the dead, no one proclaims your name. Who praises you from the grave? That, for, that verse might come across as strange to us at first glance, but I think it reflects the Old Testament view that the grave or Sheol is the realm of the dead. It is the great leveler, if you will. And what he knew is that when the righteous die, they are gathered to their people. And there are rare times in the Psalms where there are glimpses of rescue from Sheol, even resurrection itself, like in Psalm 16 that we saw during Easter. He recognizes that her, his purpose in life is to praise God, and he cannot join in public worship like we are doing here this afternoon if he is, if he, he is in the grave. And what is implied in this statement is that he vows to praise God, to continue to praise God if God spares him from death. So not only does he appeal for his life to continue, but he rebukes those who are engaging in harmful behavior toward him. He confidently orders his enemies away from him, confident that God will take away his suffering and strike his enemies instead. This is language that Jesus himself picks up on in, in the Gospels, particularly that phrase in verse 8, away from me all who, you who do evil. You might hear in that word something from, or in that verse, something from Matthew 7. And last, he expresses confidence that the Lord has heard his cry for mercy. And so that third question, how do we see God respond to the psalmist's cry? What we see first and foremost is that God's love is unceasing. He never ceases to show his unfailing love. His is a love that will not let us go. It is relentless. Not only does the Lord show his unceasing love, but he hears the psalmist cry. I don't know if you picked up on this as Ashley read the passage, but in verse 8, there's a marked tone that takes place. When all of a sudden, he cries out, Away from me, all you do, who do evil, for the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies will be overwhelmed with shame and anguish. They will turn back and suddenly be put to shame. Notice in, that, in these verses, too, the threefold cry of the Lord. The Lord has heard. The Lord accepts. 
And yes, the Lord has accepted the psalmist's prayer. Notice, too, the interplay between the Lord has heard, indicating this being something that has happened, but that the Lord accepts continuously, ongoing, shows that the Lord continues to accept this prayer, showing His ongoing relationship with the Lord. The Lord responds positively to His lament and the petitions of verses 1 through 7 by healing Him. And yes, the last thing that we see the Lord doing is enacting His perfect justice. Notice all of the reversals that happened just within those last couple of verses, where before the psalmist's bones were in agony and his soul was in deep anguish, now his enemies will be overwhelmed with shame and anguish. And earlier the Lord, he asked the Lord to turn to him and prays now that his enemies will turn back and find their sin in a way boomerang back upon themselves. And yes, where he earlier cried out, how long, how long his enemies will suddenly be put to shame. And so, church, in the face of multifaceted suffering or abusive treatment, we can cry out to God with honesty and with raw emotions, knowing that he loves us, that he hears us, and that he enacts his perfect justice. Once more, in the face of multifaceted suffering and, yes, abusive treatment, we can cry out to God with honesty, with rawness of emotions, knowing that He hears us, that He loves us with an unfailing love, and that He enacts His perfect justice. In this fallen world, we face suffering in its many facets, be it physical, psychological, social, emotional, it's all connected. It's all connected. And for many sufferers, it is during the long watch of the night, along with its stillness and its loneliness, that the pain and the grief can feel the most overwhelming, just as the psalmist cries out in verses 6 and 7. Not only will we experience suffering in its many facets, but also abuse at the hands of others. Can we just say that People say the darnest things. People might actively cheer our downfall. Or this could come in what almost seem like more mild ways, but actually hit us at the core. That is trite messages. Can we call them that? Reductionist thinking as it relates to our suffering. Phrases like, God is in control. Oh, he's testing you. You can, I think you get the picture. Perhaps you have had something like this leveled at you in the past when you were going through something significant. Something that could just be put on a, almost like a greeting card. As I mentioned already, suffering is rarely one-dimensional. I think it is, we need to be careful that we are not reductionistic in our thinking or assuming that we know right away the causes for that particular suffering. Suffering is more like a diamond in its various facets. And I think what God calls us to do is to join in and to, to be a part of the process of discovery over time 
understanding that it is rarely one reason. It is rarely A to A, but there may be A, B, C, D, E, F involved. And so the church should be a refuge for sufferers. Those who are sick need understanding, need compassion, need friendship rather than rebuke, rather than trite messages. They need someone to sit with them in their pain and maybe not even say a word. Can you think of a time when your soul was experiencing this type of deep anguish? When you felt it in your bones? That's what the psalmist is getting at here. And yes, church, we are reminded that this is not the way it's supposed to be. This is not the way it's supposed to be. That these things are contrary to God's will. Evidences of the evil that is work in this hostile world that we live in. And so what do we do with this sort of pain and this sort of treatment that we endure? I believe that Psalm 6 gives us even a model prayer for those that suffer illness and persecution. You know, these first few psalms, maybe you've even felt this as we've gone through it over the course of, the, of these weeks. We find ourselves sometimes, I think, wanting to fast forward too quickly, to jump to the, the good ones, <laughs> the joyous ones, maybe the psalms that have made their way more into the songs that we sing regularly on a Sunday, on a Sunday afternoon like this. But I think we are meant to feel in sequence here these psalms of lament, And this one in particular, knowing that we can go to the Lord for mercy, that we can express the depth and the longing of our pain with raw emotions, and yes, mourn that suffering, that pain, that oppression, and this evil in its its various forms. Yes, we can pray for deliverance from death, even as we recognize, as the Apostle Paul, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul writes those words, of course, in Philippians 1, after the resurrection. In this this world, we experienced Christ only partially, but after death, we will experience him to his fullness. That being said, we do not seek death, but there is hope. We wait confidently on the Lord. Our confidence is him, in Him and in His steadfast love. Holding on to faith in God's unfailing love. Knowing that He is attentive to our cry and that He enacts His perfect justice. At the end of the day, Psalm 6 points forward to Christ Himself. Christ who suffered innocently, whose soul was troubled. John 12, 27. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Remember Christ's agonizing cry in Gethsemane, Matthew 26. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And yes, reflect on his agonizing death on the cross. That phrase, for my bones are in agony, I believe should cause us to recall Psalm 22, verse 14, the Psalm of the Cross that says, I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. We could even say that the, that the pathos of this psalm is seen most clearly when it is led, when it is, when it is seen and when it is read in parallel with Christ's passion. 
with his suffering, yes, even to the point of death. But remember, the death did not have the final say. Remember what verse 5 says, among the dead no one proclaims your name. Who gives, who praises you from the grave? It is because Christ died that we can proclaim His name. And because Christ died and rose again, we can have confidence in and the great hope of the resurrection itself. Death itself will be destroyed. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 26 says, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. And yes, 1 Corinthians 15 verse 55, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? But let us not jump too hastily to an an otherworldly or escapist type of mentality for in the in-between. Psalm 6 serves as a model when we face suffering in its many facets and abusive treatment at the hands of others. For even in our suffering, we join in the very sufferings of Christ Himself. In the face of multifaceted suffering or abusive treatment, we can cry out to God knowing that He hears us, that He loves us, and that He enacts His perfect justice. We can cry out to God with honesty, with rawness of emotions as the Psalms give us, I think, even permission to do in the words that are given here knowing that He loves us, that He hears us, and that He enacts His perfect justice. Let's pray. Our Father, we praise You for this psalm that gives voice to our pain, to our longings, and to our fears. And Father, thank You for sending Jesus And for all, Lord Jesus, that you endured for us, how you willingly went to the cross, gave of yourself in love, how your soul was in deep anguish and crushed for us. And thank you that through your life and death and resurrection, you have made a way for us to be healed, restored, brought home. And so, Lord Jesus, we worship you. Even as we come to your table here in a few moments, Lord, Cause us to reflect upon all that you have done, Lord Jesus, on our behalf. We love you, Lord. We thank you. We pray this in your precious and holy name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. To hear more messages from EBF, subscribe to our podcast. And to find out how to get connected with our church, visit ebfchurch.org.